Well, how many of you can honestly say that um, you have been surprised by somebody's character? Where maybe, maybe it was your, uh, you have a job, and you, you show up at your job, and you are just excited. And you're going, man, this is it. This is, this is the job that I've been wanting, and I can't wait to do it. You've been through your whole interview process. Maybe you've been wined and dined, and, or maybe not. Maybe you just filled out, uh, gave your resume and whatever. But you show up, and you are just so excited. Your first day of school first day of school, your first day of, of your job, and you show up and you go, okay, th- this is not what I signed up for. Th- this woman that I'm working for, who is she? I'm sure her head spins around and she vomits green because she is just pure evil. Or this, this man, this man that I'm working for, he is on some kind of power trip. I mean, he is just like this, this power ogre that you're just going who is this guy he is just out of control he's been given authority and the way that he dispenses it is just like ridiculous this guy is just out of control he is not what i thought it was i i I remember going uh my one of my first jobs one of my first jobs was working at dairy queen that stays here we don't tell anybody I worked at Dairy Queen. I worked the grill, by the way. I was not an ice cream boy. And um, we, we, this, this Dairy Queen was located close to um, what's called Pella Windows. At that time, it was called Roll Screen. Okay. It was this. I was dumb. I, it was kind of my first job. But I thought, you know, it's easy. Dairy Queen, ice cream, you know, most people come in for ice cream. But this place was... It was ridiculous because this is where all the roll screen or Pella window guys and girls would come for lunch. And I had this boss that was from H-E double hockey sticks. And the worst came out of this person. During the slow times, I loved working with this person. Or if you'd see this person outside of outside the workplace, you're going... I love that. I could hang around this person. But when it came to the actual job, the heat of the moment, it was like, get me out of here. You know, 500 burger orders are coming through and everybody was screaming at you because there's too much mustard or not mustard, the cheese and the chicken isn't done long enough, this, that, and the other. And it's just like this constant, and this person was just breathing down my neck. I, I, there's, I worked at another place called Bredo Pisa. And I was one of the starting employees there. And I was kind of trained as a, um, a semi-manager. Someday they'd groom me to be like in charge of the whole place. And so we, uh, their gig was that buy one, get one. Ridiculous. I mean, it sounds great if you're, you know, a consumer. But if you're from the outside, or if you're in the inside working, you want how many pizzas? You're buying 12 pizzas, so that means how many? 24. Oh, great, great. But we had this, this woman who, um, I went to training with her. I thought, she is just the dearest grandmother. 
how is she going to make it in this moment? You know, she, she, she would carry mints in her purse, like some of you, I'm sure, right now. Lord, do you have any mints in your purse? Good, good. So, so my wife isn't at grandma mode yet. But, you know, um, this, this woman was just this tender, dear, easygoing woman. But the second that she would turn on, put on her Bredo pizza hat, and it was literally like kind of one of those Chef Boyardee hats, and we were all required to wear it and had a little blue Bredo pizza thing, she became something else. Someone else. Because this authority that she has twisted her. She became something else. This morning we're going to look at, we're going to continue on looking at uh, the life of Jesus Christ. And last week, we, we looked at Jesus Christ entering into the, um, the synagogue, the teaching area, the place, the gathering, kind of the, the predecessor of the early church. And we saw Jesus entering in and teaching. And the people said, who is this man? What, who is, what, what kind of authority does he have? This teaching, this new teaching and this authority that he has. And Jesus stirred something up in the church where all of a sudden a man, and the scriptures say, a man possessed with a demon suddenly spoke and said, what do you want with us, Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth. We know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, shh, zip it. No more talking. Come out of him. With a word, with the authority that God, Jesus had, he silenced the demon. And today we're continuing on, on that, that Sabbath, that Saturday uh, that Jesus, Jesus had. So we're going to continue on with Mark chapter 1. If you need a Bible, they're here in the, the center Pews or the pews, the center chairs or the outside chairs. If you need one, just kind of flag someone down. They'll they'll pass them down to you. Um, and we're going to start with chapter twenty, verse twenty nine of Mark chapter one. I believe that's found on page six hundred ninety four in your uh, in your Bible. Follow along with me. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went to James, went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus All the sick and demon-possessed, the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. I would have loved to have been there on that Sabbath day in Capernaum. It said earlier that the people were shocked, that they were kind of thunderstruck. They were just like in awe of what, what Jesus had to say. They were going, oh my gracious. You know, kind of, I, I see some of you, you know, during the service kind of go, what did he just say? 
You know, last week I did the, the thunderstruck, and all of a sudden the first thing that pops in my head is ACDC rock on, you know, na, 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 thunder. You know, and some of you are going, did the pastor just do that? You know, you know, there's that kind of shock of, he listened to ACDC? What's going on? So, but these people were thunderstruck, not an ACDC kind of way, but they were thunderstruck. So there had to be this kind of, okay, did you hear what he said? What did he say? I don't believe it. Did he say it? He said it. Oh my gracious, what's going on? And so there was this, this thing going on within the synagogue, and they were just amazed. I would have loved to have been there when, when Jesus was speaking. And then could you just imagine, after Jesus gets done with all of his teaching, somebody from the back of the synagogue all of a sudden speaks up and says, what do you want with us, Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth. And everybody's going, oh, there's going to be a fight. There's going to be a duke. You know, somebody is going to go down. There's going to be blood on these synagogue floors. What is going on? And Jesus instantly said, be quiet. Or the Greek, basically, it's one word saying, muzzle it. Zip it shut. And with that, the man fell on the floor, started writhing around, and with a shriek, the demon was gone. And the man stands up. And could you imagine what, what would have happened? The, the talking that was going on, it's like, oh, oh man. Not only does he teach with authority, but what he says and he does, they match up. There's something about this Jesus So in the public eye, Jesus speaks with authority and he says this is the way it is. There's a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of breathing and looking at life. And I am going to also, my words are going to match up with my actions. And Jesus leaves the synagogue. Leaves the people going, hmm, who is this man? Speaks with this authority. And even the demons obey him. But Jesus leaves, walks out, and goes to Peter and Andrew's home. And this is the true test. Is this Jesus who speaks with authority, whose words and actions, do they continue to match up? In private. When really nobody else is looking. Is this Jesus the same person in public as he is in private? And I'm going to tell you, apparently he is. Because Jesus went to the extent of healing a mother-in-law. That right there is a miracle. And if my mother-in-law is podcasting it, which I don't think she is because she doesn't know what a podcast is, that's a miracle. You know, to be able to say, you know what, Peter, I could save you from all this. I could save you from all this, but instead I'm going to heal you. Heal this woman. Jesus showed compassion. Mother-in-laws, I love you. Uh, No nasty emails, no nasty notes. It's a joke. Joke. But there's something about Jesus. His words in public, his deeds in public, 
matched up with his private life. There was this, this sinking going up. He understood who he was. And the thing is that, I love it, is that, you know, for me, if you know me well enough, I'm really kind of a well-adjusted introvert. This stuff I love. I love to teach. This is really my, my passion. I love to teach. I love to preach. This is stuff that I love. But when I, when I get home, I am useless. You know, my wife just goes, okay, let's make dinner, and you just, Paul, just go take a nap. Do whatever you need to do. I'll take care of the kids. And I crash. I am like, I've done my thing for the day. I am exhausted. I pass out on our wonderful uh, micro suede couch. And I just sleep with my Grandma Goldie uh, comforter. It is beautiful. But this Jesus, his, his, his work is never finished. He, he did his, his synagogue thing. He, he spoke with authority. He, he acted with authority. But he didn't say, okay, I'm punching out, I'm done. My compassion, my work for the day, I'm done. Enough is enough. He said, listen, there's going to be a seamless line going through where I'm on, that I'm sensitive to the needs of the pain of where people are in their lives, no matter what is going on. I will be compassionate. So we see this servant king, as John announced him, prepare the way. Prepare the way in your hearts, because there is going to be one greater than I who am going to come, who is going to come. I baptize with water, but he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I can't even untie his shoes. Prepare. Prepare your hearts for him. The servant king doesn't say, hold on, i got other people to take care of that. He himself addresses the needs of humanity that needs healing, even a mother-in-law. There's different descriptions in the other Gospels of what happened here. Um, One says that Jesus spoke, said something. Another one says that he lifted her out of bed. Here, it just basically says, listen, he took her hand. Who made the first step in this account? It was Jesus. Jesus took that that first step, that first extension, and said, listen, there is a woman who is burning up with a fever. In the Greek it says she had a fire, a fire. She had a fire about her. And that's not talking about, you know, that point in your life where you have your own personal heating system. It's talking about she had a fever. She had this fever. And Jesus, which is minor. You know, in our day and age, you might take an aspirin, you take a little bit of Tylenol, take the, take the edge off of your fever, the aches and pains. This is a minor thing. It's not like leprosy that we'll see later or tuberculosis or any other major thing. This is just a fever. And Jesus said, listen. I have come for even a fever. He extends his hand, and the fever is gone. 
He could have said, listen, my time is done. Boys, just you, you make me a sub sandwich because that's probably all you can do right now. Make me a sandwich. Let's just finish this. Your mother-in-law is sick. Peter will deal with this later, you know. But he said, listen, on this day of rest, on my personal day of rest, on the Sabbath, which for that day, for that people, was huge. On one day shall you rest and do no work. On the one day that Jesus had off to rest, what did he do? He was compassionate and he extended his hand. And I wonder for us, you know, we live in this world where we we constantly say, you know what? I need a day off. I I am not going to do any kind of church stuff. I'm not going to do any kind of other stuff because, you know, I am busy. I've been doing this all day long, all year round. Come on, I'm on the setup crew. I'm on this. I do this. I work on all these things. But on Jesus' Sabbath, where that was, if you would work on the Sabbath, there are huge implications during that time. Jesus said, I will continue to work because there is a need among us. I wonder what that, how that works out for us. Are, are our eyes open and sensitive to what God is doing in our midst? Are we compassionate? Even on our time off? Or my Sabbath? To what God is doing? Do we see, do we see a single mom who is in dire need of some kind of help? Do we see a neighbor who just needs a little bit of help? And we say, you know what? We serve a, serve a king who came as a servant, who is willing to serve. His public life and his private life are the same. And I think really, if if we really have had that kind of transforming experience with, with Jesus in our life, where we really recognize that God is doing something in our lives, something, something happens internally. And it, it works itself out externally. Something internally says, I, I am just so thankful for the work that God has done for me, that Jesus Christ is willing to sacrifice his heavenly place, to enter into our world and die a criminal's death. Out of that, I am so grateful that what happens? That often we put our wants, our needs on the side. That our Sabbath sometimes becomes a place of compassion. And service. And if you look at what Peter's mother in law did, she didn't just say, Hey, thank you, Jesus. I'm just going to take the rest of the afternoon and nap it off. What did she do? She immediately got up and served. She got up and served. And I think that's a beautiful picture for us as we really think, okay. 
for the work that God has done in our lives. The saving work that he has done in Paul Vroom, the saving work that he's done in my life, where he has taken me from a, a deep and dark place in, in my life, where all of a sudden my eyes are open to what God has been doing and how he's preparing me. And out of that, all of a sudden I go, I get it. I get it. I, I get who he is. I get what he's done. This is amazing. This is, this is transforming. And out of that, what happens? We've got a choice. We've got a choice of internal satisfaction. Thank you, Jesus. That, that was awesome. Cool. Maybe I'll tell Eric about it and just say, hey, Eric, this was a really cool experience I had with God. Keep it to yourself. Maybe I'll even tell my small group. But you know what? I think a real life transformation, when we have this healing touch from Jesus, that saving touch from Jesus, something happens to our life. I think it rocks us. It should rock us. It should just blow our minds away of the work that he has done. A couple weeks ago, I was in Atlanta, and there was a a pastor from uh, Oklahoma area, and um, he was talking about um, how he, at one point, identified himself as a practical atheist. A practical atheist. Or basically, he believed these things. He, he said, yeah, Jesus this, Jesus that. And he was a pastor of a, a fast-growing church called uh, LifeChurch.tv. And um, this, this guy, Craig Groeschel, said, I became a practical atheist. I thought, that's kind of disturbing. A pastor calling himself a practical atheist, whatever that means. And he said, basically, I had basically ascribed to you know, certain beliefs and certain things in here, but my life basically said that there was no Savior. My life said that there was no change that really happened deep within me. But maybe I, I believe these things and I could spit out what I believe here. I, this is what I believe about baptism. This is what I believe about the atonement. This is what I believe about this. And he became really good about stuff that he knows. But he really was a practical atheist. That his life did not match up with what happened in his heart. And I wonder, and I've got to ask myself that too. Is that me? Has Jesus extended his hand to me and said, Paul, you're mine. I purchased you with a price. Before the creation of the world, I chose you to be holy and blameless. And do I take that and say, thank you, Jesus. Now I'm going to go on and live my life. I might even take some seminary classes, work towards my Master's of Divinity, I might, I might go to a Christian college. I, I might work for a church. But you know, in reality, do, does any of that matter? If what is in my head and my heart never really comes out? Where I'm still this cold, hard, distant person? 
That's never really able to express through service or words what my Savior has done for me. I wonder. How many, maybe this is you. Where you, you're, you could identify with this Craig Rochelle and maybe me at some times where you say, yeah, I, I am basically a practical atheist. Where the hand of Christ has been extended to me and I've experienced some healing in my life, but you know what, I'm just going to go on as normal. As if nothing has ever happened. The thing is that Jesus stirred something up in the synagogue that day. They saw something. They heard something. And they're going, who is this Jesus that speaks this way and acts this way? And it says in verse 32, that evening after sunset... According to Jewish law, you had to wait until you see three stars in the evening sky before you're able to get out and move and do anything. So you wait for three stars. Can you imagine everybody sitting at your little, look, one, do you see one? Yeah. Okay. Two, three, and then all of a sudden, boom. After sunset, there was this, this stir among the village. There was this stir. And as the evening approached, there was this anticipation, this anticipation growing in this village. This waiting for for something to happen. For at the conclusion of the Sabbath day, three stars appeared. The streets were now alive. People didn't go to sleep. They didn't go to bed. Every sick person, every ill person, and we can put, we can talk about what, what kind of illnesses those are. Maybe it is mental illness. Maybe it's physical illness. Maybe it's just a deep spiritual illness. It even said, and even the demon possessed, all of them showed up. At Jesus' house. All of them just from Capernaum and the area. Could you imagine what would happen? All of a sudden, Jesus, oh, what about Uncle Bob? We could take Uncle Bob. Let's put him, tie him down to a stretcher. I know he's demon possessed, but if we get enough duct tape, we, camel tape, whatever it is, we can tie this guy down and we can bring him to Jesus. Because you saw what happened in, in, in the synagogue. That man, he was on the floor, and he's a new guy. So let's tie him down to the stretcher, and let's take him. Okay, it sounds good. Count of three. And they got him. And it could be another mother-in-law, a father-in-law, a child, everybody who was sick. And here, uh, it says, the whole town gathered at the door. The whole town. Could you imagine that? There was something about the way that Jesus spoke and the way that Jesus acted that the whole town said, there's something real about him. There's something real about this man. I trust him. He, he only spoke at synagogue once. 
That's church growth right there, just so you know. Real church growth. That Jesus spoke once, healed a man, and boom, that evening, they still had to wait till the three stars appeared. The whole evening was outside the door. It said, the people brought, uh, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. The word brought there is not just like, it's this idea of continual. It's in the imperfect. So they continually kept on bringing it. It's like, okay, let's bring Uncle Bob. Woo! He's healed. Let's go. Okay, let's go aunt, get Aunt Susie. And they continually kept bringing people amazed. And could you imagine what would be happening? That as Jesus steps out, he sees all these hurt and lost and lonely, sick people. Jesus steps out and heals. A touch. A word. We see in the other Gospels that Jesus sometimes spat in the, wo- in, in the mud, made this putty kind of stuff, and put it over people's eyes. Poor sap who got that one. But each person, Jesus would tenderly touch, speak a word. And you would hear crutches fall and people getting up with joy and say, I'm healed! Look at this! My legs! I can run! I can think clearly! I can see now! Oh, look at this! Look at this! And people are just going, this is amazing! Look at this! He is! I knew him ever since he was a little kid! The guy could not kick a soccer ball for the life of him. He's doing it now. And the whole village is just in awe of this Jesus, the healing power. In Jesus' personal time, late into the evening, Jesus heals a community. Late into the evening. Shows a compassion that I wish that I had. A compassion for people. I wish that I had. That's a that's an authority that I wish I had. Hey Todd, would you go to that, that first slide? I showed this last week. When the church learns again how to speak and act with the same authority, we will find both the saving power of God unleashed once more. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what this would look like in our community, in our families, in this area? If we we again learn how to speak and act with the same authority that Jesus had and, and, and add in there, infuse in there this compassion, this sensitivity, what we will see God do in our world, in our time, in our community, in our lives, our personal lives. Can you imagine I think that if we would really see this work out, our church, this community of faith, will be filled with people that are not like what we see. They'll probably be 
more homeless. It might be filled with uh, a row or two of Down syndrome people. It might be it might be this community of people that is unable to work because of disabilities, whether it's emotional or spiritual or physical. This this community would, if we really want to be intentional about ministering to people, we would see the lost and truly hurt people flocking here. Joining our home groups or showing up outside of MES's door saying, there's something going on. I want to be a part of that. I want to receive the healing that can only come from God. That's what I dream of. A community of sick people gathering for worship. A community of people in the process of being healed gathering for worship. A community of people who are healed gathering for worship and celebrating and sharing with one another. You know what? This crutch that I've been walking around with called child abuse, gone. It's gone. This, this mat that I call, you fill in your own blank. Maybe it's this mat called, I don't like myself, is gone. And we see, I love it, all the moms of infants leave, that we see this amazing healing power of God in our community. This amazing healing power of God in our lives. And we come together just to laugh at God's goodness. Where we are so surprised that this person who at one time was extremely clinically depressed, manic depressive, is healed. Thursday is usually my day for uh, sermon preparation. It's my last day to kind of pull everything together. And it just so happened that this week, nothing was coming together. It seemed like little things would be popping into my life, and I had a choice to make as to how I would respond. Do I say, I'm sorry, I've got a sermon to prepare or do I do ministry? I tried to come to the Mokina Public Library to study and go in a back little corner and get away. Spread out all my books so people go, okay, he's serious, let's not bother him. And I did it during the school hours so that former students wouldn't show up and say, Mr. Room. Not so much. 
former student that I, I just loved seeing in the hall. His name was Anthony. He, uh, he goes, are you Mr. Vroom? I said, yeah. Wow, dang, busted. So much for sermon prep. What's up, Anthony? I had a choice right there to make. And I, get, I, I got to listen for an hour and a half a beautiful story of a young man who is now 22 years old who, who pulled up his sleeves and said, Look, Mr. Vroom, these are all the areas that I cut myself because I didn't have any hope. About a year and a half ago, I, I, I had to check myself into a mental hospital because uh, I, my life was just I, I was suicidal. I was cutting myself. I was drinking myself to the point where one day I woke up from a, a drinking binge where there was blood coming out of my ears and my nose, and I knew that enough was enough. And through a girl that he was dating who went to a church in our area, he found the healing power of Jesus. And I was able to hear that story celebrate with him and hug him instead of doing sermon prep. I wonder what it is that God's calling you to or God, what God is calling you from. I wonder what it really looks like when the people of God's kingdom really participate in the kingdom work all day every day I'm just beginning to figure it out that's really not about my agenda or the things that I've got to do it's really being faithful to the God in the now right where he's planted me And doing it. And being faithful. And not arguing and saying, okay, God, apparently this is something that you need me to do. You've put me in the middle of Mokina uh, Public Library. I've tried to hide. I need to do this. What is God saying to you? Right where you're at. What is God saying to you? How, how is it that the people of God are to respond to his call? Because his sacrifice was not a little sacrifice. You know, we, we can look at Philippians 2. You know, the, the ultimate example of his, his humility and his example if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any encouragement from being part of Christ, if you have any comfort from His love, any comfort, any, any comfort from His love, any fellowship with His Spirit, any tenderness, any tenderness and compassion, just an ounce, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish me ambition, 
or vain conceit, but with humility. Consider others better than yourself. Hard words in North American church or in our society. Each of you should not should look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. I love this. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of that name, Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our attitude needs to be the same as this God made man who died A death that he did not need to die, but he chose to do it. He gave his perfect blood, his perfect life for you, for me. And for someone in here today, maybe this is the first time where it's clicking. And you're saying, yes. That makes perfect sense. Sounds absolutely foolish. Doesn't fit into a marketing scheme. This Jesus makes sense. If that's you this morning, I encourage you to talk to the person who brought you here first. I'm sure they've been praying for you that would God that God would just open up your eyes, open up your ears, soften your heart. And today, hopefully, is the day. And maybe for some of you who have would call yourself disciples, maybe this is a time of repentance for you. Where you're saying, I have abused, neglected a gift. And for that I need to repent and turn back. So this is a beautiful picture, not just a story. This is the life of Jesus. The life of a Savior, my Savior. And he's showing compassion. He's showing that his public life and his private life are matching up. It's showing that there's, there's this power. And the person of Jesus Christ. There's this power in how he, he spoke, how he lived. And he chose to disseminate that power with compassion, with healing, 
We're seeing people now. So my prayer is that as, as we leave in a little bit, after, after we worship and we have our coffee and we have our donuts and we head out those doors and get in our nice cars, that God really um, stirs something in us. That God is saying to you, okay, you've heard the word of God. What are you going to do with it? How does this apply? And I hope that for some of you, that you, you stay awake in bed tonight wrestling with this. That's not a curse. That's a blessing. That you just stir with this and say, am I being faithful right now, in the now? Can I see with the eyes of Christ? Do I have the heart of Christ? Does this relationship really matter? Let's pray. And then let's worship. God, I, I thank you. I thank you for your word and how uh, it is alive and well for uh, today. That it's a it's a living and breathing. These are living and breathing words. God, how it stirs in the hearts of men, women, and children. It stirs in the heart of me. God, my, my prayer right now is for that man, that woman who's hearing these words and they are shaking them at the very core God I ask that you in your your way God may your spirit minister to them now Lord that they can believe in their hearts and confess with their mouth that you are the Lord, the master of their life. And Lord, with your words and your healing touch through your church, Lord, that their life can be healed. God, I pray for the man or woman that is needing to repent. a life of apathy, a life of uh, a life that does not match up in the public or private lives or sectors. God, I pray for the church. Not just Missio Day, but Grace Fellowship, the United Methodist Church, uh, St. John, St. Mary's, Parkview, Mokina Baptist, Emmanuel Lutheran, all the churches within the Mokina area, God, Lord, I just pray that the body of Christ will be true in words and in deed. Lord, that there may be this unity 
that we may be as one in administrating your words and your deeds to this community. So God, stir in this community. Stir in this local community. And God, can we just come back and celebrate you? Can we just enjoy your your goodness? Can we be encouraged by that? Yeah, that's our prayer. And so God, now we're going to we're going to worship with simple simple words. And God, uh, some of these words might not even be true of us right now, but could you change us and make us like you? Change our hearts in these simple words, these simple melodies. Because there really is none like you. So God, thank you. I thank you for worship. I thank you for the body of Christ. And I thank you for you. I thank you for you. And the work that you have done. And are doing. And will do. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's worship.